I didn't throw one strike in the bullpen. Everything, I was just launching over the catcher's head. It's almost like I forgot how to pitch, you know? The bullpen coach asked, asked me, he's like, hey, are you good? He's like, are you good to go? And I was like, yeah, I'm warm. I mean, my arm is warm, but I don't know where it's going. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, I'm talking to former big league left-hander Jake Lindgren. A second rounder out of Mississippi State, Jake turned in one of the most dominant seasons of any reliever in college baseball history in 2014, which led to him being drafted by the Yankees and debuting in the big leagues within a year. It was a rapid rise, but after just seven innings with the Yankees, Jake was beset by arm injuries that would derail his career in the big leagues before it really got going. We talked this and the setbacks following that debut that Jake handled with some good-natured optimism, how you can you know, still look on the bright side of things after multiple arm injuries, including two Tommy John surgeries. So we'll talk that. We'll talk his professional career. We'll obviously talk a lot of Mississippi State baseball. You folks who listen to the podcast regularly know that when I have a guest on who played big-time college baseball, really just any college baseball, I've got to dive into it. So really interesting episode. Really appreciate Jake taking the time. Uh, as you'll hear, he was, he was actually driving during the podcast podcast it leads to some funky audio at points but got most of it smoothed out but uh, big thanks to jake for taking the time really interesting story episodes of phenom of the farm drop every other tuesday if you enjoy this one subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews and if you haven't yet leave a five-star rating and a review on apple podcasts also make sure to subscribe to baseballamerica.com and to be a podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news minor league season big league season both of those are going but most importantly we are into super regionals this will be uh, our last episode really before Omaha. So, um, you know, it is the best time of year, college baseball season. And, you know, of course, all the prospect stuff, um, you know, hopefully, maybe this will be the last episode before Ellie De La Cruz makes it to Cincinnati. So fingers crossed there. But with that, let's talk to Jake Lindgren. All right, joining in for today's episode are from Phenom to the Farm. He's the 55th overall pick in the 2014 draft out of Mississippi State, former big league left-hander Jake Lindgren. Jake, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. This one's a long time coming. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it, Kyle. Uh, you know, it's uh, I know we've been talking about this for the past year, so I'm glad we finally got to uh, get it in the books and uh, kind of get this this show on the road. Me too. Me too. Literally on the road as you are you are driving while you're doing this. So I, I appreciate you taking the time. But let's let's go back to to your upbringing, your amateur days, your high school days. When did you first realize you had a future at the next level of baseball, whether that be pro ball or college, because you had interest from from both Division One programs and the pro ranks as you got into high school? Yeah. So I would say growing up in in middle school, uh, I'd say when I was about twelve years twelve years old, I had that dream that I wanted to play major league baseball, which all 12 year old kids do. And then when I got about eighth grade going into ninth grade year, I was throwing a little harder. And, um, I saw this, uh, left-handed pitcher out of Picayune, Mississippi. Um, and he was throwing about 92, 94, and there was about 30 scouts at the game. And I realized I'm like, you know what, that's going to be me one day. Um, so ever since then, I, you know, put my mind to it and put my grind to it and just, you know, kept my head down. And then my senior year of high school um, had some really good games. I, I had a, a seven inning, 20 strikeout game, um, started throwing harder and then ended up being a 12th round draft pick by the Chicago Cubs out of high school and the 2011 draft. 
but um, it came down to the last day, right before classes were starting, the, the Cubs, they offered me exactly what I was asking for, but I was already at Mississippi State. The facilities were the best in the country, and I liked where that program was, was heading. So um, I decided to stay and spend a few years in, in college. What was recruitment like for you? Because you're a Mississippi guy. You were part of a, a pretty impressive Mississippi, 2011 Mississippi high school class. But your 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 parents, like your dad's from Minnesota. You've got some some roots elsewhere. Why? What made the decision to stay in state? Where did you, did you consider expanding out of state between you know going going elsewhere other than the Mississippi schools? Yeah. So I would say. Being from Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, it's on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So um, LSU and Baton Rouge is really close. It's a lot closer than Starkville is. Um, so I was actually went on a visit there. They had just came off of that 2009 national championship um, and, you know, got to hold the national championship trophy, all of that. But they pretty much offered me like the minimum scholarship to go there. And, you know, I had some other schools I was looking at. Um, Alabama, Alabama was another uh, SEC school that I was looking at. And then, you know, going on a visit, talking to them. But I'd say it, it came down to Tulane, um, Tulane and Mississippi State. Um, I, I had some re really good offers there. And Tulane is, is a baseball school. Um, they, they have a, a good tradition as well. Um, but at that point, it would have been you know, go to Tulane for more of the, the education side of it or go to Mississippi State to try to become, you know, with their rich baseball history. Um, you know, my, my goal was to pitch in the big league. So I knew I had a better chance of developing better going to Mississippi State. Your first season on campus, you're mostly out of the bullpen. You you close out some games. You get a couple starts toward the end of the season. At that age as a freshman, did you have a preference, like a thought to what you liked more or any thought to what you might be better at, like thinking maybe I'm, I'm better as a reliever or I, I want to start? So my first uh, fall, um, John Cohen, he's um, he was my head coach. Now he's the athletic director at Auburn, but – I remember I had a rude awakening in, in my first fall, you know, coming out of being a, a draft pick out of high school, you know, ego was kind of big and I got put into place for real quick. So I knew I had to, um, had to earn my way onto the, you know, the main roster, the traveling roster, all of that. So uh, when, when I got my opportunities, I, I did what I could with them. Um, but uh, Butch Thompson, he was our pitching coach at Mississippi state. He's now the, the head coach at Auburn. Um, we had a really, really good talk and um, we were kind of on the same page. Eventually, you know, he wanted me to be a starter, but we had some, some veterans on that team who had went to a super regional the year before um, against Florida and, you know, had really proven themselves in, in the limelight. So um, I would say it was my last, my last, um, the last outing in SEC play, I ended up throwing five innings against Kentucky and um, had a really good outing. And then my first start was against LSU in the SEC tournament, which, um, you know, had, had a decent outing. We ended up going on to win the SEC tournament that year. Um, so that, that was pretty cool. And then I made my second uh, collegiate start in the Florida State Regional. Um, so 
at that point, that's when I kind of, you know, I was a starter in high school. It started before. And then the following season, I, you know, after the end of the year, go to play summer ball in the Texas Collegiate League. Um, shout out the East Texas Pump Jacks based out of Kilgore. We ended up winning the Texas Collegiate League that summer. So had it had a good squad out there. And then, um, you know, went into battling in the starting starting rotation that that season, uh, that 2013 season. Um, you know, Kendall Graveman, he was in that starting rotation. Um, so we definitely had some some good guys, good guys I was battling with. When you at, at your kind of your peak, like we'll get into that junior year where you're pretty dominant, and then and then what you did early in your run in the in the big leagues or in the, in the minors in the big leagues, you were a a fastball slider guy. When you start, you, it requires a little more of a repertoire. What was when when you got into that Friday starter role your sophomore year at Mississippi State? What was you know kind of your strategy of of having kind of a holistic pitch mix and and working through that those SEC lineups multiple times? Like how how did you formulate? Okay, this is what I need to do to get through. You know, flip a lineup three times. Right. So um, you know, I had an elite lead slider. That was uh, that was my pitch. Um, and I, I did have a changeup that I that I would throw, but pretty much I would I'd ride my fastball early on and, and make them hit it because uh, cutting and sinking. So I try to hunt for that early contact, and then when I would get ahead in the count, you know, put them away with that slider. But you know, for me, I had I had one outing um, against Auburn my junior year when, when I went I went eight innings, but for the most part. I would say, you know, that that five inning, six inning range, um, when you get to that third time through the lineup, um, I was pretty, pretty gassed, to be honest with you. Um, so I was more of a, a sprinter where um, that that season, our our tactic was go out and you sprint, go as long as you can, because we had a really solid bullpen um, that you know, Chad Gerardo, he ended up pitching the big leagues, the Blue Jays, uh, Ross Mitchell. I think he went 13 and one that year out of the bullpen. Um, you know, we had some guys that we could bring in in the middle of the game and and they could go go long. So that was kind of our strategy. My junior year was, hey, just go out, dominate them with your two pitches and um, and go from there. But I'd say. Last time I threw a change up in a game. I think I gave up a home run to uh, Mason Katz, uh, LSU hitter. I'd struck him out on it the last time I faced him. So I was like, oh, I'm going to throw it again. Hits a home run. And pretty much my, you know, my pitching coach, Bush Thompson, he was like, hey, if you're going to lose, lose on your, on your best, on your best pitch, which is your slider. So he, like, even, even if you throw a bad slider, it's not going to, it's not going to get hit like that. So, um, so that's kind of what I went. I went into that attack mode. So that sophomore year as a starter, you deal with some injury stuff. You head to the Cape and you relieve in the Cape, and it seems like relieving is going to be your role moving forward. When you get into that, when you're starting that junior year at Mississippi State, you know you're going to be in the bullpen. How how did you feel mentally? Did you feel like okay, I'm in the right role for me. This is what I want to do, or was there any you know was there any desire to hey, I actually I actually wish I was still a starter. So pretty much I went from, you know, had some injuries my sophomore year and then moved to the Sunday role. And I, I want to say I went eight innings against Auburn 
And then my next two starts didn't even make it out of the first inning. One was against Vanderbilt. Um, and then the next one was Ole Miss, unfortunately. But um, so after that, um, you know, we kind of get into that postseason play and I moved to the bullpen and pretty much I don't pitch really the rest of the season. Um, so I kind of, you know, was throwing lives and we made a national championship run um, in, in that, that season. And um, unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't pitch uh, because they went with a, a veteran you know, like a senior who had, uh, had kind of been there, done that. But, um, you know, we had two guys, pretty much we had me, Brandon Woodruff, um, Evan Mitchell, we all didn't throw World Series at all. And, you know, Brandon Woodruff's obviously a big league pitcher now. You might have heard that name. And then Evan Mitchell, he pitched in AAA. I pitched in the big league. So, um, you know, you'd have to ask John Cohen – what he thought about that, that coaching decision back then. But, um, you know, at the time trying to play the hot hand, all that, but I say going into the Cape threw some out of the pen and then me and Butch Thompson, we had a, a one-on-one conversation before the, before the fall started. And I still kind of had that sour taste in my mouth about how the, the, the last season kind of played out. Um, so I told him, I was like, Hey, just, you know, just to be transparent, um, I, I was really close to signing out of high school, so this is going to be my my draft season. So I'm I'm for sure, most likely going to go. You know, wherever, you know, I want to have a good season, but wherever I go, I, I, you know, wherever I get drafted, I'm most likely going to go. Um, and he asked me, he's like, "Well, do you want to be a Chris like a Chris Stratton, like a Friday night? You know, Chris Stratton. He was a our Friday night guy in 2012. He, he's pitched in the big leagues I think he's still in the big leagues um or he's like do you want to be a Paco Rodriguez which Paco Rodriguez was a high draft pick out of Florida lefty reliever kind of came you know shut games down and I told him I was like to be honest I'm probably going to be a reliever at the next level I'll just make that transition right now so that I could be more of know how to get hot really fast and be more prepared. So I don't have to make that transition in pro ball. So um, when we did that, you know, I'd started the year before, but I'd come in with that same concept where come in one to two innings and just throw it and just throw it as hard as I can blow it out versus as a starter. I kind of, Oh, I got to go five or six innings. Let me, uh, you know, kind of either pace it out or, you know, not throw as, as long. So, that was uh that was kind of the conversation we had, and then it turned into, do you know the Jonathan Holder? He's another big league guy from that team. He uh he was the uh, an All American closer the year before. I want to say he had 21 saves. Um, you know, was just lights out as a closer. So me and him, we kind of would piggyback closing games. Um, so. Different, different dynamic, but uh, we we still got the job done. Well, in that junior year, you're a you're a BA first team All American. You have a hundred strikeouts and fifty five in the third innings. You had mentioned like your starting strategy was was look for contact with the fastball early, and then if you got ahead, put them away. When you're now out of the bullpen, is is pitching for whiffs a strategy? Because like missing bats is the name of the game. If you can miss bats, you're gonna go far. Is it, was it something that, did you pitch for strikeouts or they just, they just happened because of stuff and that hammer slider? 
I would say there is that mentality where it doesn't matter who's in the box. Um, when you're throwing, you know, 92, 94 heavy cutters and sinkers that uh, it's even hard for the, the catchers to catch, that's when you know it's hard for the hitters to hit it. So that strategy was, hey, work ahead, just pound the zone. And then once I started doing that, pretty much pitching to let them hit it, well, then they started missing it. And then that's when I would um, – I'd almost go fastball, like sneak a fastball for a strike, throw a breaking ball for a strike because they hadn't seen it, and then punch them on a dirty breaking ball. You know what I mean? And um, that, stra- that strategy worked. But there were some times where I couldn't throw – you know, my fastball was moving out of 10 outings, and the rest you're just – you're kind of trying to figure it out. But that season – um, I went in just trying to pound the zone and just, I knew my stuff was, was nasty. I just had to throw strikes. And then when I did that, um, the results were good. The reason so many guys go to play in the sec is the importance of the games, the big stadiums, you know, I think most of the, all the sec schools are in the, you know, the top, top 20, top 15 of attendance in, in college baseball. When you're going out to close a game in an away stadium in the SEC, is there one that stands out of this place makes me shake a little bit more than any of the other places? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, L, you know, I'd say at LSU um, and Baton Rouge, the fans are like right on you in the bullpen. So they could easily just, they're, they're talking smack to you. Uh, I mean, if they wanted to, they could throw a, a beer on you or a glass of water, right? So that one, I would say it wasn't necessarily necessarily like the stadium noise or anything like that because I kind of had that, um, you know, for the love of the game style mentality when you hear the mechanism and you just kind of hone in. Um, but I would say pitching, you know, pitching at Mississippi State, we had heavy attendance, so – when we would go to other places, it would be like, oh, we've pitched in front of more people than this. You know what I mean? So um, that was never really a factor for me. Draft day 2014. So like you said, out of high school, you win the 12th round, which you know happens with, with high schoolers who aren't certain to sign. This time, you've had this All-American year. You are pretty much guaranteed to sign. You're, you're ready to go. The lead up to draft day. Obviously, relievers, especially now, don't go in the don't really go in the top ten picks anymore. But you're you're projected to be a high pick. You're tabbed as one of those guys who can move quickly. How did you think draft day was going to play out? Like, did you have a mindset of I'm probably going in these few picks. I'm going to sign for this, or was it more of a, a random dartboard throw? Yeah. So it was. I was, you know, for sure projected to be like a top top three rounds. Um, but because of my experience starting the year before, um, we were trying to – I was trying to creep up into that first round because I could be versatile, right? Um, obviously, I was a reliever uh, my junior year, and, and I had thrown some extended outings. So that was – I was right in that middle range where a team, if they wanted to, could make me a starter, and then I could go that route again. So – um, you know, we were trying to trying to take some 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 uh, first round money under slot, but at a higher higher pick, right? So ideally, you'd make more money. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it was uh, it was definitely exciting times, and um, 
you know, my agent, Bo McKinnis, uh, one of the best in the business, um, you know, he, he's worked with over a hundred big leaguers in his, in his career. Um, definitely he's more of a, you know, boutique style agent where he's going to work with you one-on-one versus some of these other agencies. You're just going to work with kind of like their minions. So, uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to him. Uh, he's definitely made me a lot of money in my career. So, um, 55 seems early, but did it feel like a long wait? So there was, um, there were some talks where I could have went before 55. We were trying to like, you know, negotiate under slide and it was like, Oh, this one could be a a potential pick. And then it wouldn't happen. Um, and then I get a call right before the pick, um, from Bo and he was like, Hey, I think, I think we got, I I think we got him. I think, I think you're going to go here. He's like, if not, he's like, if not, you're going to go to the Reds, like a few, like the next pick, it's going to be one of these. Um, and then, you know, so the Yankees were, were very high on me. Um, you know, I, I actually spoke with them a lot before the draft and I mean, they had kind of been tracking me since high school. Um, I don't know if you know the name Andy Canizera, um, he was the, uh, the area scout at the time. Later on, you know, he went on to be an assistant at LSU and then went to be a head coach at Mississippi State. There was a little, you know, a little, little scandal there. But, um, you know, I think he landed on his feet somewhere, and I think he's doing good. But, um, but he actually, when I was in high school, he, got, he witnessed that 20-strikeout game um, and then has followed me ever since, you know, through my playing career. So um, he was really pushing for me. And um, ended up get, getting that pick, so it was awesome. You signed for just over one million. Obviously, that money is is meant to live off and and get you through the minor leagues and stuff like that. Did you allow yourself a fun purchase? Um, you know, my 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 first fun purchase. Uh, at the time, I ended up investing in a, a PlayStation Four, so that was my my first big purchase, and then. I'd say the next big, the next big purchase was uh, paying off my student loans, you know? <laughs> so uh, those, those were the big two right there. One of those purchases is a lot more fun than the other. Uh, I, I will say that investing in a PlayStation is always a smart time investment, but you, you sign in 2014 and often with like college guys, especially high school guys, like it's, it's slow that first, you know, that first year, maybe you pitch in the the GCL when it was a thing or the complex, or you kind of get your feet wet and you gear up for the, really the next season, your, your debut in full season ball. You are like, just like Paco Rodriguez, a left-handed reliever who is tabbed to move early. You play in the GCL, you play in low A, high, you end up in double A. When you're tabbed as one of those relievers who is going to move quickly, when you're signing your contract, when you're meeting with Yankees personnel, whatever, is it is that laid out when you sign? Like, hey man, pack light. You're gonna move move quickly. Like, was this the plan to be in Double A by the end of 2014? So, I want to say it was my in the SEC tournament. You know that in my, in my junior year, I came in with runners runners on first and second, and was just like throwing gas. I think I, I might have been like, you know, 94, 96 that day. And I came in, I think I just, like, struck out uh, Grayson Griner, like, South Carolina's, like, bigger hitters at the time, and just, like, punched them out. And my agent told me, he was like, 
if we were to put you in a big league game, that outing, you would be able to do exactly what you did. Um, so like once he kind of told me that I knew I was like, okay, like with my stuff right now, I can pitch in the big leagues. So once I got to pro ball, I kind of had that mentality. Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going for everybody's throw. I'm just going to punch tickets. Like kind of, that was that, that, that dog mentality. And I, my goal was prove, you know, prove to the, to the organization that I don't belong at that level. So just try to dominate every single level where they ha you have to force, force their hand to move you up. And that's when I, I want to say in high A, I'd struck out like four guys in an inning because the catchers had difficulty, like catching my slider. Um, and then it wasn't until I made it to double A where I think there was somebody from the big league, like a big league team scout, like came to watch me or something like that. And I was like, uh Oh, I'm kind of close. You know, once you get to double A, anything can happen. And then, um, that's when I realized also the zone is a lot tighter and the hitters aren't swinging at, at as much, you know, as they have a better approach. We'll say that. So, um, that was, a that was a, a good first summer, uh, for sure. Something else that's different about minor league baseball, besides the hitters, you talked about pitching in the sec tournament, striking out Grayson Griner or closing out a game on Friday at Mississippi state or at, you know, at Davis Wade or at Alex box at LSU that not the, not the same intensity in, in the minor leagues. Did you have as a reliever when things are, you're used to coming in when there's thousands of screaming fans, when a, a ton is on the line bid to a regional or bid to a super or something like that. Did you have any, any trouble kind of gearing yourself up for the moment in the minor leagues when you're pitching because it's Wednesday and you're supposed to pitch on Wednesday and there's, you know, uh, a couple thousand people in the stands, but they're all there because, you know, there's a, a beer truck they like or something like that. Yeah. You know, at, at that point, um, it was, you know, you're going from the GCL where you're on, you're getting foul balls or, you know, it's chain link fence league. And then, even in, you know, low A Charleston, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, they had some good fans there, especially on the Thursday Thursdays. It was rocking out there. Um, and you can't sleep on the kids' days. You know, they're playing SpongeBob SquarePants songs. All the kids are, are chirping out there. Uh, the Baby Shark song's coming on. But um, once you, once you kind of creep up, you know, I knew it was going to be a, a jump because I want to say I pitched – close to 15,000 people at Mississippi state. So I was like, okay, there's some like big league organizations that don't even get that many people. So I knew um, it, it was going to take me getting all the way to kind of pitch in front of that kind of crowd again. When you're in the minors and kind of like I was just saying that you're, you know, in Mississippi state, it's you're pitching when they need you, when you, you need to lock down a game or something like that. In the minors, it's it's much more regimented too. It's like you're gonna pitch on Wednesday and then you're gonna pitch on Friday. It's less situational based. Is that is that a is that does that make things easier on you in that regard of like being a reliever, but knowing kind of when you're gonna come in, or is it is it an adjustment to you know not be tuned into the game? And if it's like if it's close, I'm definitely coming in. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it was definitely an adjustment, but I'd say that first summer they were trying to regiment. Um, how many innings I threw total 
So I think I was throwing at that time on Tuesdays and Fridays. Um, so they could control how many innings I threw and stuff like that. So it was good is because I knew at least I was going to get a couple outings a week um, and for sure get my innings in. So, but yeah, it was definitely a lot different than coming in and closing the game. 2015 spring training. Did you go to, did you go to big league camp? So also a little fun fact, when I was in double a, um, I got to face Jason Giambi. If you, if you remember that name, um, and oh, yeah. I, I want to say I, I struck him out. Um, I like buckled him on a slider. I threw it right at his shoulder and he kind of like buckled up. And at that point I was like, okay, if I can strike out Jason Giambi, you know, he was the, towards the end of his career. Um, I was like, I could definitely like pitch in the big leagues. Um, and then ended up going to instructional league that summer or I mean that fall. Um, they wanted me to work on a changeup and Going into that instructional league, they one of the um, player development pitching guys, he asked me, he's like, hey, do you want to try? Do you want to try to be a starter? They were like, if, if you if you want to become a starter, um, you know, you, you can make more money in the long run um, versus being a reliever. Right. Because um, I was working on that change up and it ended up being a, a really good pitch. And um, I was like, well, am I going to get to the big leagues faster being a starter or being a reliever? And I was and and he's like, probably a reliever. And I was like, well, yeah, like I want I just want to get to the big leagues as fast as possible. So whatever that is. So we had that conversation and and then going into big league camp, um, you know, there's a bunch of veterans there still. Um, that that 2015 team was was pretty pretty loaded with uh, some talent. And I remember they found out about I don't know if, if you know about this, but it's called the Bench Mob. It's like a a music rapping video. Um, I was debating I was on this. whether I was going to ask about that, so I'm excited you got to it. Yeah. So, so I remember, you know, I was uh, 21 at the time and in big league camp. And um, pretty much Joe Girardi, he like plays this video in front of the whole big league spring training. And, you know, he made me stand up in front of the team and he's trying to get me to like make a song. And he's like, yeah, uh, you and uh, Cece, uh, Cece Sabathia, he's like, you guys should get together and uh, try to make a new song and all this stuff like that. I was definitely uh, pretty embarrassed, but um you know, I, I think they got a good laugh, good laugh at it. And um, that uh, that spring training, I ended up making it, making it to the last round round of cuts. Um, I had a had a good, good big league camp and ended up starting in triple A. And then from there, um, pretty much made my debut uh, on Memorial Day. So it was a, a pretty fast track from there. Yeah, I mean, I guess we we just passed the anniversary of your debut. Walk me through getting that call less than a year after being drafted. You know, how did you hear about it? And then what's the the rush of getting to New York City and making that debut? Yeah, so my manager, um, we were on the the baseball field um, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And he walks me up and he's like, all right. He's like, come to my office, follow me. And it's probably about a good, good 150 yard hike to the clubhouse we're kind of walking together and I'm just like, 
I'm a talker, so I might ask him questions like, oh, it's supposed to rain tonight? Like, you know, just small talking, trying to get him to spill the beans on why he's, like, bringing me away. And then I get into the office. Uh, my pitching coach was there, and they told me, they told me, that, hey, like, you're going to the big leagues. Like, pack your stuff up. And I was like, oh, like, I called, I called BS on them. And, they're, and I'm like, for real? Like, seriously? And then they're like, no, like, you're going up, you're getting a car service, all this stuff. And my girlfriend at the time, like, now my wife, she was there on spring break visiting me or, you know, summer break. And um, so it worked out perfectly. She got to come up with me to New York. And um, it was just it was a it was a great experience for sure. But when I when I called my parents and I told them they kind of had the same response as me. They like, didn't believe me. And I was like, yeah, like get your plane tickets and uh, come up, you know? So, so when that happens, like Scranton's not that far from New York city, I assume you have an apartment or wherever you're living for that triple a season. When they say pack your stuff, is it like you go to your apartment and you clear out or did you, did you leave anything? What's, what's the process there? So, um, you know, at the time, I was driving a, a 2002 Pontiac Firebird classic still to this day. I still have it. Not a lot of space in there though. Not a lot of space. Um, but ended up just packing all my bags, everything that I needed, just everything that I didn't need. I put in my car and I drove it to the stadium and left it there. But the rest, I just, you know, pretty much living out of a suitcase at that point. It was, a. um, it was like a, a, a fully furnished type apartment. I was like living with, with other guys at the time too. So um, it wasn't like I had to pack up like a bed and all that kind of stuff. So how vivid is your debut? Like, is it a, you remember every detail thing or did it fly by so fast? You can barely remember any of it. So I remember um, I was talking to, to Dylan Batances. Uh, we were walking to the bullpen, um, getting ready for the game. And he was just telling me, he was saying, he's like, hey, this is just normal baseball. Like, he's like, you've been doing this your whole life. Uh, he's like, when you get any other game, like, you still got to, you know, still got to make your pitches. And, you know, it doesn't matter who's in the box. Um, but I remember uh, Nathan Evaldi, he was starting. And he went, I want to say, eight or, you know, I came in in the eighth inning and, he it was 10 to 2 something like that and runner at first base and i remember in the bullpen my heart was just pounding it was like non-stop um the heart rate was definitely elevated i didn't throw one strike in the bullpen everything i was just launching over the catcher's head it's almost like i forgot how to pitch you know the bullpen coach asked asked me he's like hey are you good he's like are you good to go and i was like yeah i'm warm i mean my arm is warm but i don't I don't know where it's going, you know, and I think the first pitch, you know, I kind of started to dial it in a little bit in warmups, but still kind of high first pitch. I throw up and in and I'm like, oh, I have to get this pitch down. Ended up throwing it right down the middle. It kind of cut a little bit, roll over ground ball, double play. Um, so after that, the heart rate slowed down. I took it. Got to take a deep breath, and um, you know, at that point, I was just back to back to cruising. You know, 
you get those seven games in the big leagues, seven innings in the big leagues. What did you notice in that time about the the difference in big league hitters? Is it was it pitches they were spitting on, not swinging out? Was it things they could do with what you were throwing? Like where did you see the biggest jump between where you dominated in Double A AA and Triple A? I would say if you say if you had a miss, you missed a pitch in Double A AA or Triple A, um, they would foul it off, right? And in the big leagues, it's going to be a hit or a home run. Um, and then also like your pitcher's pitches, you know, my cutters like low it in on righties, stuff like that. They're either, I'd say you get more foul balls on your pitcher's pitches um, that you typically would get swing and misses on in the minors. So I'd say that was definitely, uh, definitely a difference there for sure. When did your elbow start barking? So, um, you know, I feel like if you asked every pitcher how their arm feels, you're going to get a bunch of different answers. Um, so I don't think anybody ever feels fully, fully normal. Um, I think adrenaline takes over a lot, but um, I, I would say my last outing in the big leagues is when I knew I was like, oh, man, something is wrong. Um, I was in Camden Yards and every pitch I was throwing, it was like wincing pain. Um, you know, and I was like, oh, like, uh, I'm just going to save it for the game. My adrenaline's going to take over and then um, it, it'll, it'll stop hurting. Well, it, it didn't work out like that. Uh, I kept pitching. Um, it just kept throwing through pain and ended up. I think my last pitch I threw, I was trying to go cut her low and in and it like was up and in, and then it was home run. And, um, they take me out. And I was like, at that point I knew something was wrong. Um, talked to the, some of the trainers about it and just, uh, it was, uh, I'd say, yeah, that, that was when my elbow kind of really started bugging me for sure. And you get, you get sent down after that. And then, uh, a couple weeks later, they announced that you're having surgery to remove a bone spur. Just walk me through that process for you. Of you're suddenly sent down. You you know, a couple weeks prior, you had had this miraculous ascent. You're in the big leagues less than a year after being drafted. Then suddenly, you're on a minor league roster. You're done for the rest of the season with this injury that at the time is bone spurs. Eventually, um, you know, eventually you get get TJ. Just walk me through that process and and. At really the mental come down in, in dealing with that. Yeah. So, um, the next, I got sent down and, um, I was under the impression I, I could take like a few days, like two to three days, something like somebody had told me that. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to get my elbow a break, see if it feels better. Well, I'm, I remember I'm at Dairy Queen, you know, getting a blizzard and, um, I get a call from, uh, my pitching coach. He's like, where are you at? He's like, we got a game. Like, you know, we need you here. Um, and then I go, I show up kind of middle of the game and I just, I think I tried to warm up and like, just play like a, a little light catch. And I was like, my, I was like, my elbow is not, is not right. So I like stopped throwing, went and had a, a good one-on-one, um, a one-on-one talk with my pitching coach and just kind of asked him, um, his, his advice. Cause he, he had pitched in the big leagues and, um, that's what, that's as good when you have, uh, 
a former player who used to be a player. Now he's a coach. They can give you like honest advice about how they, you know, they did things in their career and stuff like that. And he's like, you know what, let's just get your elbow checked out. All this stuff ended up being bone spurs. And then pretty much I got put on the, the minor league DL and the last time I pitched in the game was in the big league DL or when I was in the big league. So it was this whole thing. And I ended up filing a grievance against the Yankees for like the amount of days and all this stuff like that. Um, so go in, go and do my rehab. And I know like these whole grievances, they take a long time. So end up, you know, going through my rehab. It was like a three month type recovery. Um, going to next big league camp, you know, the following season in 2016. And, um, I'd say my, my, you know, my feel was just kind of off. I wasn't, wasn't as sharp as I was the following season or, you know, the season before, and, uh, was still kind of working through some, some kinks with uh, my elbow. So they were like, they optioned me to triple a, and then right before the season starts, they're like, Hey, you know what? Um, because it's so cold in Scranton, we're just going to keep you here in Tampa and you could throw in some games in high a, um, so you can like throw in the, the heat. Right. So I'm not like throwing in the cold at the beginning. And I want to say a couple games in or a couple weeks in ended up, uh, spraining my flexor, got a PRP shot, tried to rehab it. And when I came back, um, that uh, ended up needing Tommy John surgery. And at that point I was like, okay, let's just get it taken care of. So I don't, you know, miss even more time. Cause you know, it just kind of had that injury bug at that time. And then um, pretty much they were like, Hey, to settle your grievance, let's uh, let's take you off the 40 man roster and we'll, we'll settle the grievance. And then when they did that, I got uh, non-tendered. And at that point, I technically became a free agent. So then there was, you know, multiple teams wanted to put me on their big league DL, all this stuff. And that's when I, um, the Braves, signed a one-year deal with the Braves to essentially be on their major league DL that, that following season or that upcoming season. How did you feel like your relationship was with the Yankees during pretty much from the time you went down to AAA and, and had the, the first surgery? Because the kind of a quick explainer that grievance for you, it's a, it could be a matter of hundreds of thousands of dollars of spending your time on the big league DL versus spending your time on the minor league IL. And so again, that's a drop in the bucket if you're a, you know, a billion dollar organization like the Yankees, but for you, I mean, that's a huge amount of money and that's a huge deal. Did you feel like that changed how they felt about you when that, when that happened? Yeah. So I, I don't think, I don't think it felt how they changed about me. Um, you know, like you said, they are a billion dollar organization and I was their first pick in 2014. So they definitely uh, felt highly of me. Um, but, you know, there were some other guys who they did this to. Um, uh, Slade Heathcott, um, Nick Rumbelo uh, out of LSU. You know, they had done this before with other guys who had made it to the big leagues and pretty much was a way for them to not have you on the 40 man roster. Um, but you know, because I was so young and 
he made it up so fast. Um, I didn't seek through. I didn't seek through as like the other guys did. But um, but no, I mean, I had a good relationship. If anything, um, you know, I would say Brian Cashman was 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 pretty pissed when um, he you know he found out that I was going to sign with the Braves because he really wanted you know really wanted me to be a Yankee. Um, but uh, but yeah, so you know, I actually uh, I went to this career development summit this past December and I saw, uh, I spoke to Gene Afterman. Um, I don't know if you, if you recognize that name, but she's, uh, she's pretty high up in the Yankees organization. And, um, you know, we had, a, we had a good conversation and, um, you know, she didn't bring any of, of all that grievance stuff up. So that was nice. But, uh, you know, I feel like it's, uh, it's almost like this unique brotherhood being a Yankee wearing the pinstripes. So, I still have good relationships with, uh, you know, some people in the front office there, uh, Ben Tulowitz, you know, if I were to ever hit him up, um, you know, he's always open to, to give me some tickets and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I feel like, you know, when you, when you wear that, those Yankee pinstripes, it definitely, uh, it means something for sure. So the Braves gives you the, give you this deal that essentially a lot of guys coming off TJ kind of get a situation like this where they, they pay well, they keep you on the IL while you rehab and they're counting on that second year when you come back healthy. You, you get to spring training uh, with the Braves, you're healthy, and then elbow starts barking again. Walk me through the conversation with second, second TJ because, frankly, there's not, a lot of, there's not as many second TJ survivors uh, you know, as, there, as there is the first one mentally when you hear that where you know where did you think you were going with your career like is it is it still possible to stay positive when you find out that you know 19 months after getting your first one you need a second one yeah so I mean my mentality I'm always like that you know optimistic very positive um you know and that's helped me get to where I am in my career be it being a good teammate all this stuff um and especially because I had big league time rehabbing with other younger guys in the, um, in the organization and stuff like that. Um, you can almost kind of be like a mentor as well, but you know, I, I was back to throwing harder, consistently throwing harder than I, than I have in my career. Um, right before I got the second one and I was like, Oh wow, I'm back. I'm about, I'm about to go out and make the team. Um, and ended up, you know, feeling something funky in my elbow. And I was like, you know what? I've kind of felt something like this before. I told the pigeon coach, he's like, all right, let's just stop you to checked out. And then they told me, they're like, yeah, you have a partial, a partial sprain on your UCL and you have like some bone spurs. And I was like, it's only been, it's only been uh, 19 months since my last one. Um, I was like, you know, how does this happen so fast? Uh, and pretty much what they told me was I'm either going to have to, they're like a lot of people have this kind of stuff in their elbow um there's some people that can pitch nine years in the big leagues with the same exact stuff and then some people that it's just like you can't you can't throw through through that kind of pain right it's going to affect your command and your velocity stuff like that so um you know they gave me a dose pack and it's like all right i'm going to give it a shot to like try to come back uh, but pretty much they said i'm either going to be able to throw through it and like and be fine or have to have another Tommy John. So I would say mentally at that point, you know, nobody wants to have a second one. So I was doing everything that I could to like, for sure, surely test it to know that 
you know, I'm for sure going to get a second one. And the icing on the cake was my last day before I was going to really, I think, because I could throw probably 80% and, and like throw both percent, 110, like that's when I'd really feel it. Um, so I threw it as hard as I could, probably for 40, 50 throws. Um, every throw was wincing pain. And I was like, you know what, like, it's either going to, like, warm up and I'm going to be fine, maybe some scar tissue is going to break up, um, or or I'm going to tear it, <laughs> you know. Um, so I was kind of – both of – I'd say all of my injuries I've had, it's been more of a – it hasn't been like a one throw, ah, snapped it. It's been like throw through pain and kind of keep – going through it when I, re- I realized I couldn't perform at, at my highest level throwing through that kind of pain. So that's when I decided to get the second Tommy John, um, you know, but pretty much, um, I, I, you know, the positive light was I was going to be on the IL, you know, on the big league side. So I was going to be financially, uh, but I would say because of my positive attitude and mindset um, and just, always going to grind to get what you want. Um, we came up with a good plan um, with the medical staff and, and the pitching pitching coordinator at the time. Um, and we really hit it hard. And I'd say the biggest thing, I, you know, we, we kind of looked at some of my mechanics, seeing where my arm was um, and try to see what kind of adjustments we could make to not repeat the same thing for a third time. You don't throw in a competitive game again until 2019 with the White Sox organization. What what was that guy on the mound like versus the guy who was with the Yankees debuting in the big leagues? Like the numbers are good, but how was the stuff? How was the feel? So I would say the the stuff was was similar uh, mechanically. Mechanically, I I changed some things where I what I wasn't putting as much stress on my elbow. Um, so it was almost learning how to compete and pitch in a game with a new arm path, essentially. So that was definitely, you know, get dusting some rust off. Also um, throwing in the throwing in the AZL chain link fence league. You're throwing to guys in rookie ball who just swing at literally everything. So I'm over here trying to work on, you know, work on some different pitches and throwing strikes, but. There, uh, I want to say in 2019 was the first time I had given up a home run in minor league baseball because uh, because they were just swinging at literally everything, and um, that was uh, so that was a, was an interesting take. So I almost had to think, okay, I'm going to go back to throwing like how I did in college, right? College and in lower level ball because pitching in the big leagues, you had to pitch a lot differently than you would in lower level minor league ball. So uh, I had to go back to changing, changing the way I pitch guys again. You pitched 2019 with the White Sox. The COVID season means that you are the lost COVID season means that you didn't get any time in 2020, 2021 White Sox released you after some triple A time. You catch on with the Kansas city T-bones, the American association. When you, when you yeah. get that release and when you decide to go play any ball, like what's the, what's the mentality with that? Like what, I mean, why, why continue? Did, is it because you felt like there's still a big leaguer in there? Are you just not ready to be done playing is, is kind of a, a mix. Like what's the mindset as you head out of affiliated ball into indie ball? Yeah. So uh, in, in 2020, 
I actually probably had one of the best seasons of my career. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't an actual season. Um, you know, I made it to like three rounds of cuts in big league camp. Um, I think uh, Austin Bummer, or I mean, Aaron Bummer was hurt at the time. Jace Fry was hurt. So I actually had a chance to kind of make a little run um, to get on the team. Then COVID hits, but I go to the alt site for all of 2020. And I essentially developed this uh, elite like sinker. Um, it was almost like a right-handed slider. Um, think of it like almost like a screwball kind of. So I developed that with my cutter and uh, I was, I mean, I was drinking out Tim Anderson, Jake Berger, uh, and like all of the White Sox, like top prospects. Uh, I, I could just throw my sinker down the middle and it would just drop straight down and they swing over it. So that mixed with the slider was a good combo. And then go into 21 um, and, you know, lose a, I'd say lose a little, lose a little of that feel because I, you know, tried to buy into throwing that sinker every pitch. Um, but when I went to um, independent baseball, it was, uh, they went from the T-Bones, but they, they transitioned into the Kansas City Monarchs. So uh, that was their first inaugural season as the Kansas City Monarchs, um, you know, a legend. But uh, pretty much it, when I went to independent ball, I got the chance to kind of almost redefine, work on different things. It's more of a like a college brotherhood feel versus a, you know, upper minor leagues even in the big league level, everybody's kind of very selfish, um, kind of all about their own stats, everything like that, you know, because they want to make it to the big leagues. Um, so it was good because it's like, you could have a bad outing, but you still win the game. And it's almost like, Hey, like we're just trying, we're trying to win, you know, with that trying to win mentality, 2022, you, you guys are, you're pitching for a championship. You guys are in a, in a actual professional baseball pennant race. And, and kind of like you just touched on, the mentality that that I've heard about on the show and just everyone who goes in any ball is the the focus on the focus on winning, the focus away from development towards winning. You know, walk me through the experience of, of pitching for that and how that differed maybe to um, you know, trying to win games on a minor league team or, or or something like that. Like what what was, you know, just what was the thrill? Was it comparable to those times at Mississippi State? So I would say it was a mix of the way that they managed a bullpen was how they, you would manage it in the big leagues where you could throw, you know, back-to-back -back days, day off, back-to-back -back days. Um, I mean, I, there's guys that throw nine out of 11 days, um, you know, depending on your role. And it, it was a mix of, you know, the way they manage major league baseball bullpens and the winning culture of college. So, you know, even if my role was, hey, I'm going to come in and just strike out. I'm just going to come and throw sliders to all these lefties. Like, you know, that that's at the minimum, that could be my role. But sometimes you might have had a guy throw three days in a row and he needs a break. So then your roles change where you have to you, now you have to be the setup guy or you have to close the game out. Um, and we ended up going on to win in, in 2021. We ended up winning winning the championship for the American association. So, um, you know, going from getting released to winning a championship, it, it really made me appreciate baseball again and get back to actually enjoying the game. Um, 
versus stressing out about, oh man, am I going to get released? Am I, you know, if I pitch another bad game, are they going to send you down? Or um, you can really get into that, that mindset once you uh, get in the, the higher levels of baseball. What was the linchpin in 2022 being your last year playing pro baseball? What, what, you know, what led you to the decision to retire? So in um, 2022, you know, was, I had a really good first half and um, I ended up tweaking my, my groin. So I was out for a little time and then I came back and, um, you know, I think maybe me rushing back from that groin a little bit, it started putting more stress on my shoulder and um, I started kind of throwing through some pain again, but like now it wasn't in my elbow, it was in my shoulder. Um, and, you know, overall ended up having a, a slapped tear in my labrum and that's when my career, um, I'm not going to keep throwing through this. Um, I felt like my, my window kind of, kind of came and went. But uh, I feel like, you know, when the major, when Major League Baseball decided after that COVID season to start getting rid, rid of some lower lower level minor league teams, um, what it did was, you know, that kind of middle class player who is a triple A big league guy, maybe like that 4A player who never really got a chance to establish himself in the big leagues. You know, you see a lot of players like that, which typically would have a job in AAA. Well, now those guys are kind of getting pushed out and then they're bringing up these younger guys faster. But now it's like instead of spending a season in rookie ball, low A, high A, double A, um, now you see a lot of people getting moved up faster, you know, because there's less teams. And then you also see a lot of guys getting released faster, too. Um, so... That's uh, that was kind of like once that dynamic changed after COVID, I knew, you know, players in my situation, you really have to fall out and pretty much tickets and have a low ERA with not a lot of walks. And there was a guy, uh, there was a guy, uh, a starter on our team who I think he had a .81 ERA, was close to like two punches, two punches an inning, and was like. A really good starter for us and could go down. His name is Matt Hall. He pitched in the big leagues with the Red Sox. And um, when I saw him, he got picked up and then was up for, for two weeks. I think at the time they were having 21 pitchers on a, on a AAA staff, which is like, like unreal. Like that's so many. So once I saw that, I was like, okay, like they're pretty much calling up, you know, the, the, the dynamic of the, the game was kind of changing. So I think now you're going to see a lot of people going to play in, you know, either independent ball to try to, you know, be closer to making it back to affiliated ball or people are a lot of guys are going to Mexico, Korea, Japan, doing all that kind of stuff. If you go back and give yourself a pep talk the day you signed with the Yankees, the d day after, you know, you got drafted or whatever, what would that pep talk look like? You know, I would say – I would say, hey, you got really good stuff, kid. You're, you're a nasty lefty. You know, go at them. Don't, don't ever take a moment for granted. And, um, you know, be yourself and stay true to who you are. I got a quick little rapid fire for you, then I'll let you get out of here. Uh, what's your favorite minor league ballpark? 
Okay, rapid fire. I'm going to go with – man, that's tough. Um, favorite minor league ballpark. Um, I'm going to go with the uh, Trenton Thunder. It's a good call. I've heard good things. Uh, best hitter you've ever faced? Best hitter I've ever faced. Statistically, probably um, – I'm going to say Tim Anderson. What's the best food spot at Mississippi State in Starkville? Um, I'm going to go with Stromboli's. But they recently um, – they just closed down, so they do some catering though now. So, RIP. Last one. Everyone gets this one. Do you have a nightmare bus ride or travel story from the minor leagues or indie ball? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Kansas City – from Kansas City to Winnipeg, Canada. Oh, that's a long hike. It's about a 15-hour 15 15-hour 15 bus ride. Long hike. Well, Jake, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much for joining from Feet Out of the Farm. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, Kyle. Uh, take it easy. And that's it for today's episode with Jake Lindgren. Big thanks to him for taking the time during his drive to talk to us about his career. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.